We are glad to be with you in the presence of the Lord. We, we hope that you are glad to be here as well. So we are starting a new series in the book of John. So um, in the past few weeks, we've been in the book of John, but we kind of went out of order. We started with the crucifixion of Christ, which is kind of like the beginning of the end. And then we went through um, encounters with the resurrection, resurrected Christ. And now we're going with um, persuasive signs. The book of John is a book that is written um, very intentionally, and we'll see it as we go. And there are specific miracles that John presents in his book to show that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. But before we go there, let me ask you, how many people are, 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 are um, going through it with the gas prices and all of them, inflation, Amen. Man, congratulations, by the way, you're the generation with the highest gas prices, so you can give yourself a hand of applause. Amen. We did it, guys. We got, we're almost at $5 gas. So before we start, I just want to give maybe a couple of tips um, when you're dealing with a situation like this that we've never seen um, before. Um, now, more than ever, we have to be intentional about how we manage our finances, right? So the first thing, when you see the prices go up, is mind your dollars. Mind what you do with your dollars. Maybe when things were not as expensive, we could go willy-nilly and buy whatever. But now we have to be more intentional, right? Um, and since prices are going up, when you go grocery shopping, it's going to sound counterintuitive, but maybe you want to buy more, right? Because the spaghetti that you buy now for $1, tomorrow is going to be $1.25. So if you buy it now for $1, you just save $0.25 cents from the future spaghetti, right? Um, another one thing that you want to do is maybe batch your trips. Sometimes, you know, we go do something, we come back home, and then we go back out, and we come back home, and all of that is gas. And when gas is a $2... You're not worried about it. When it's $5, it's a little bit more significant. So you want to batch your trips together. And um, another one is if you go pick up somebody, right, and, and, they're, and they're not on American time, they didn't come out right away, and you're waiting for them, and it's not too hot, turn the car off. Because when the car is running, guess what? It's burning. It's burning gas. So if you turn, down, you, you turn it off so that you can save the gas. Sadly, a lot of economists, and I don't put my trust in economists, they foresee that it's going to be even worse. So we might come a time that even the most wise people, the tips and all that, they're not going to be enough. They're not going to be enough. And what I came to tell you this, uh, today is when you're in a situation and it's not enough, all the tricks that you do, everything that you're engaged in, all the measures that you're trying, and they come out short and they're not enough, what I want to tell you today is to bring it to Jesus. Bring it to Jesus. When you're overwhelmed and you don't know what to do, bring it to Jesus. Please open your Bibles with me in John chapter 2, and we're going to read from verse 1 to verse 12. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciple had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. 
Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servant, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after, after the guests had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. And after this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. Father God, please reveal yourself like Jesus revealed himself in this miracle. In Jesus' name, amen. And so we have this passage where Jesus is in Cana of Galilee. So just as a way of background, if we go to the next slide, we'll see a map of, uh, of that area. And so the first town in blue, you see Nazareth. That's where Jesus grew up. That's why we call him Jesus of Nazareth. Um, and then the other blue is Capernaum. That was Jesus's headquarters. That's where he ran his ministry from. And in between, you have a small village of Cana. And, and what the, the Bible tells us is that Jesus's mother was there and um, Jesus and his disciples had been invited. And so first thing I want to uh, point out out of this passage is that Jesus came. Now, understanding that Jesus is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, and he's about to engage in the most significant mission that humanity has ever known, he still had time to come to a, to a wedding in a small town, and he came. And what I want to tell you is that if you invite Jesus into your situation, he's going to come. Jesus came, and it's mind-boggling that the God of the universe would humble himself into the, the body of a, a, a man, a mortal man that would be tired, him that was for eternity, um, all-powerful, now was going to be tired. All-knowing, now he was going to be thirsty. He was going to be, uh, he was, he, he was going to know anxiety. He's going to go know every trials that we knew, he would know them. But he still came. And so I want to tell you this afternoon, if, if you bring Jesus into your situation, he's going to come. He came to that little wedding in a little backwater town with his disciple. And now we can ask ourselves, why did Jesus come in that, little, in that little spot? And I want to tell you, Jesus came because Jesus cares. Jesus came because Jesus cares. Back in the day, I used to work in Miami, like way deep, Hialeah, right? So that was the type where you drive on the highway for a long time. And when you get off the highway, you have a long time again. And um. That time, uh, my son was graduating, I think it was, what, VPK? 
Yeah, he was graduating VPK. Okay, my first thought was, DJ, close your ears. Who graduates VPK? When I graduated, when I went to school, we weren't graduating VPK. We weren't graduating elementary. We only graduated high school. But they said, you know what? You should come. I'm like, okay. So I drove down to Miami. That was one hour in the morning. And then I think it was like around, what, 11 or 1 o'clock. So then I left my work from Miami to go back up to Margate. That's another hour. Um, and then after that, I would go back to work down for one hour and then go back home for another hour. So that would be four hours on the road. And, and gas was, wasn't $5. I think it was like $3. It was the type where you just put the credit card and the bills keep stacking. But when I got in the room, he was on stage. And when he saw his dad come to the room, his face lit up. His face lit up. I don't know if you remember. You remember? You don't remember? But his face lit up. And, and that told me I would do it again. And I would do it again and again and again. Because when somebody matters, you show up. And what Jesus shows by showing up is that you matter. Is that we matter because he showed up. And he showed up because he cares. And if you follow with me in verse 3 to 5, he says... When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. And Jesus has a, a weird answer. He says, woman, why do you involve me? Now, we have to say that every time. But when he says woman, it's not meant in any disrespective manner um, back then that was um, normal occurrence. So he's not disrespecting his mom. And he says, my hour has not yet come. And, and, and I feel like Mary has a little Haitian in her because she doesn't try to explain to him. It's almost like she doesn't even answer Jesus. So, so it's like she's saying, and she turns to the servants and, they, and she says, do whatever he tells you to do. Um, and, and it's hard to know because she didn't answer the, the, the question, why do you involve me? So now we're asking ourselves, why did Mary involved Jesus. And the only answer I can come up with is that she involved her son Jesus for two reasons. One, she knew that he would care. And two, she knew that he was capable to do something about it. You see, you have two types of people. When you have a problem, you're going to face two types of people. The people that care, but they cannot help you. So they care. They're like, oh, you're going through this, I care, but sorry, I'm broke and you're broke, so I can't help you. You're sick, but I'm not a doctor, so I can't help you. So they care, but they cannot help you. And then you have another set of people, they can help you, but they just don't care. They got the money, but they don't want to depart from the money, right? So, so they could help you, they could give you a hand. They're at home doing nothing, and your car just broke down on the road, but they ain't going to budge, because the Netflix show is too, too good. But Jesus is the one that both cares, and that's because he's the Savior, and as the Savior, he cares. But he's also capable because he's the Lord. And the Lord is the one that has dominion over everything. So when we say, receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we're saying he has dominion over everything. But he also cares deeply about what we're going through. So Jesus both cares, and he's capable 
And so the problem that they had was that they had a, a, a lack of wine. And, and that might seem trivial for us because, number one, we're not that big on alcohol. And then number two, uh, I mean, okay, you, you ran out of wine, big deal, right? I remember when I was a teen, we went to a wedding. And the wedding, uh, it was in a nice venue, um, in a nice neighborhood. And, and we, so we were teens. So all the teens of the church, we gathered in one corner of the room, and all their parents was on the other corner of the room. But apparently the kids, we were smarter than the parents, because the corner of the room that we congregated in was the corner by the kitchen. So when they came out for, with the food, they served our tables first. So we had tables full of plate, and I think I remember it was Diri Jonjon. You know, as I remember it till today, it was 20 years ago, right? It was Duri John John pool, and we were eating at, like vent de boutonnet, like we're having fun. But guess what? By the time the wedding ended, they ran out of food. So the parents, they didn't get food. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm at my wedding and I have to choose, I'm feeding the parents. Because the parents are the ones that cut the check for the gift. The kids... They ain't got no money to help you, right? And so I looked at our table, and it was full of food that was not eaten. But these people, they were not going to get food. And you could look to see the look on the bride's face. She wasn't happy. A lot of people weren't happy. But guess what? We moved on. It's been 20 years or so. They got married. They had a great life. Uh, kids born, grown. But 20 years after, there's a dude on stage talking about your wedding. So more of the story, make sure you have enough food at your wedding. Amen. But now imagine back in those days in Israel when a wedding was a big, big deal and they celebrated it for days and days and days. It wasn't just one day. It was a full week of celebration and you would invite people and they would come and it's a big festivity. So if you run out of food, if you run out of wine, it is a big, big shame on the family that's organizing the wedding. And so when they come to Jesus and they tell him they don't have no more wine, He, he says some, he says, why do you involve me? And Mary doesn't reply, so, but it, it implies that she means that you care and you can. And so Jesus goes and he turns the water into wine. So he gets involved, even though that's not why he came. Mary comes to him and says, son, I need you to save the day. But he goes to her and says, I didn't come to save the day, I came to save the world. But why, while Jesus came and he's worried about saving the world and the big things, he's not above taking care of the small things. So yes, he is king of the universe, but he's also God in your heart. And he's also concerned about the little things of your life. And he goes forward and he turns the water into wine. How many people now wish Jesus would turn the water into gas? Amen. Amen. I wish he would turn water into gas. Amen. Actually, to be honest, when I'm reading the passage and he says that there were sick jars and there were 20 to 30 gallons, you know the first thing that came to mind? 20 gallons, that's about a tank of gas. So maybe he could turn one of those into gas. I go to the gas station last week after service. We had a great sermon, a great fellowship connecting the dots. So I'm all happy. I go to Costco. If you know Costco, Costco is the cheap gas. 
And then so I put the gas and, and I have a lapse in my mind and I feel like I'm in 2019. So I see the gas is at you see $30. I'm like, oh, wow, that was fast. We're almost done. And I look. I saw snap. It's six gallons. We're not done. And it keeps going and it keeps going and it never stops. Up until I think it got to $80. And then that's when I realized that infinity that I drive means infinity prices of gas. Like, it never stops. It keeps going and going and going. I know some of y'all have Mercedes, right? But now you're asking for mercy, please. Amen. No, no, for real, for real. And it never stops. Like, it kept going and going and going. And I think it reached, like, $80. I'm like, Lord, I did a miracle. And, and, and we think, and it's getting so bad that we think it's only us, but even celebrities get affected. I was on Twitter, and I don't know if you guys know Ice-T. Ice-T was an old rapper, like one of the tough ones, and he's on uh, Law & Order. He, uh, now he's an actor. And he posted, he was at the gas station, and he got robbed. He got robbed. Tough guy, but he, he got robbed because when, when you're going through crisis, people, they don't know what to do, so they are crazy. So, so he got robbed, so now he's shaking and he's call, calling the police, and the police come and say, yes, sir. So they take his statement. He's like, uh, do, can you identify the, the person who robbed you? He's like, yeah, I can, I can. It's pump number nine. How many people understand pump number nine is a liar? So I went to pump number six, and the price was the same. You can't run away from the crisis. But guess what? You can bring it to Jesus. You can bring it to Jesus. And that's what Mary did. She brought the problem to Jesus. And Jesus, though he said, why do you involve me? But then he says something, the other part of the answer. It says, my hour has not yet come. And that brings us to the bigger problem that we have. The bigger problem that we have is not the economy. The bigger problem that we have is not the political problems. The bigger problem that we have is the problem of sin. Is the problem of sin. Because every other problem flows from the problem of sin. You would have all of this situation because of greed, because of anger, because of, 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 uh, of lack of compassion, right? And so Every problem that we have comes from the problem of sins. And so, yes, Jesus came. Yes, Jesus cares. But also, Jesus cleansed. He came to cleanse us. And, and if we dig a little deeper, when he says, my hour has not yet come, every time that Jesus uses that phrase, or John uses that phrase, the hour to come that, that is referred to is the crucifixion of Christ on the cross. All throughout the book of John, like at a point they're trying to put their hand on, on, on Jesus and Jesus is able to get away. And, and the Bible says, because his hour had not yet come. Because when the hour came, then he gave himself up to be crucified, right? So at that point, the, the, the hour had not, had not yet come. So if you follow with me from verse 6 to verse 9, it says, Nearby stood six stone jars, water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he, he told them, now draw out 
and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. So a couple of things here that the text tells us. Number one is that those six stone jars were the water for the, Jew, the Jewish ceremonial washing, right? So that's what they used to wash anything from the silverware to washing themselves, right? And it was ritual, um, and, and they assigned to those washing a spiritual meaning. That's why when Jesus went and his disciples started eating without washing their hands, they started getting on their case. And then that's when Jesus says, this is not where um, sin comes from. Sin comes from your heart. That's where the problem is. The problem is not your hands. The problem is your heart. And from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus answered at that time. And so you have six stone jars for the washing. But what we learn when we read the rest of the New Testament, like Colossians and Hebrews, is that the ritual of old, the ritual like the sacrifices, the washing, they were there temporarily, but they were not enough to take care of the problem of sin. They were not enough to save humanity from its sin. And, and I like to use that example, and I'm going to use it again. It's like if you have a doctor, and the doctor performs surgery, and he saves a thousand people uh, in one year. Like his surgery, and he saves people. One night he goes out, and he has an argument with someone, and boom, he kills the person. And then he goes, and, and nobody see, him, see it because they were alone. He goes, and he does it another thousand surgeries. When the police does the investigation, they get the DNA, and they find out that it's the doctor. Should the doctor be absolved, meaning should the doctor be left alone because he saved a thousand people on one side and another thousand people on one side and he only killed one? Should he be let off the hook? Or should he be held accountable for his sins? So let me see, show of hands, how many people think the doctor should be left off the hook? How many people think the doctor should pay for his crime? Yeah, everybody's hands up. Why? Because we understand that if you do a crime, you have to do the time. If you do a crime, you have to pay for the consequences of that crime. And all the good deeds that you do don't, do not offset the bad deeds that you do. So the, 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 the rituals, they were good deeds, but they were not sufficient to offset the bad deeds. And, and, and the Bible says when you have sin, to, to cover the sin, you need blood because the wage of sin is what? Is death. So what we find is Jesus took the six jars that were for the religious washing, and then six, if you find it in Revelation, what do you have? Six, 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 what is six, six, six? It's a, it says it's a number of men, it's a, the mark, but it's incomplete because the number of God is seven, right? So the number of men is incomplete. So they have six jars signifying that the religious things that you do they're not sufficient to take care of the problem of sin. But then what did Jesus do? He turned that water and he turned it into wine. Now, last week was um, what we call the communion. And what do we do in communion? We take the wine and we say what? This wine is my blood that is shed for you at the cross. So by that miracle, and if we go, if you follow with me, in John, John chapter 20, verse 30, 
to 31, John gives us the goal for his, for his gospel. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. These are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So he he tells us the goal of all the signs that he's putting in his book. And this first sign, the first miracle that he shares, is Jesus turning the water of ceremonial washing, of religious washing into wine. And what we find later in the Gospel of Matthew and, and when they, they have the Last Supper is that the wine is a symbol of the blood of Christ. And that so Jesus as Messiah would come and then he would fulfill all the, 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 the rituals and the ceremonies and the festivals of the past, which the Bible tells us they were what the Bible calls foreshadows, right? So, so if you want previews of, 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 of what was to come. Now, if you know anything about me, you know I don't like to watch previews because they're kind of like spoilers when you go to the movies. But you know, you watch a preview, you get a glimpse of what the movie is going to show you. But you don't really know until you see the movie. So the Old Testament was like the preview of what was going to happen. But the reality is in Christ. The fullness is in Christ. And what that miracle tells us is that the fullness of the redemption is going to be in Jesus Christ. It's going to be in Jesus Christ. And so what I want to tell you is, if you have sins in your past. If you have mistakes that you made in your past, you can bring them to Jesus because Jesus is the one that cleanses. Jesus is the one that redeems. Sometimes we try to overcompensate for the bad deeds that we did. And so we try to be more religious. We try to move more this and more that. You don't need to do all of that. You need to bring your sin and yourself to Jesus Christ because he's the one that does the cleansing. He tells us in 1 John Chapter 2, verse 7 to 9, he says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' Son purifies us from all sins. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from some unrighteousness, a lot of it, no, from all unrighteousness. Last Wednesday at Bible study, we were watching um, the, uh, the movie Unplanned. And Unplanned is a story of uh, a woman that was the director of one of the Planned Parenthood clinics. Um, and so she was um, participated in thousands and thousands of abortions. And she had two abortions herself. And one day she goes in the room for the first time, like she's working in the clinic, but she was never in the room. And one day she goes in the room and she's able to see the, um, I don't know how you call it, the, um, 
like the ultrasound, ultrasound. So they're watching the baby and the baby is there. And then you see them taking the thing and then she's looking and she sees the baby trying to fight for his life. Right. Where the lie that they tell the industry is that it's just a, um, a lump of cell. It's just it's just a, they call it a fetus. Right. It's not a baby. It's a fetus. When you want it, it's a baby. And we look at the health of the baby. When you don't want it, it's a fetus and it's, it's cell. And it's and so and, and you see the baby is fighting. And then that shocked her because she thought it was just cells like 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 you're trying to remove an appendices. Right. And the baby's moving and try to protect itself. And until it gets sucked, and then she sees him, uh, like the blood going, and that's shocked her, and that's when she made the change, and she decided to leave that industry. But in America, we have a lot. Um, we have a lot of people who made that choice because, in a moment of crisis, they were told it's all right. They were told it's, um, it's just cells. It's, like, it's like, almost like cutting your nails. Like you can cut your nails, you can cut your hair, it's no, nobody cares. But then after the fact, you realize what you've done. And, and, and if that's you, maybe you're watching or maybe you're even in this room, I want to tell you that Jesus forgives. I want to tell you that Jesus cleansed. He doesn't cleanse only some iniquities. He doesn't cleanse only the, the good iniquities. He cleanses us of all unrighteousness. No matter what you did in your past, or maybe you did something else that nobody else knows, only you know. Only you know. But I want to tell you, bring it to Jesus, because Jesus cleansed even the worst, worst sins that we can't imagine. The things that you're afraid to tell other people, you can tell it to Jesus. The things that you do not want to confess from stage. And, and, and you know what's funny to me? It's um, verse 8 says, if we claim to be without sin, but guess what? That includes us. That includes all the pastors. That includes all the preachers, all the deacons, all of us, all the worship team. Everybody got sin. We ain't better than you. The only difference is, I know, I, I, I can't do it by myself, so I bring it to Jesus. I can't get it done by myself, so I bring it to Jesus. So bring it to Jesus, because Jesus cleansed. Whatever your past is, whatever your relationship struggles are, bring them to Jesus. You know, sometimes the hardest person to get forgiveness from is ourselves is ourselves. Other people, they might be ready to forgive us. Jesus has is, is been died on the cross for your sin and has been ready to forgive you, but are you ready to forgive yourself? Because he's already said, if you confess your sin, I'm going to forgive you. When I died on the cross, I already knew your sin, so it's all said and done for me. So my encouragement for you is to come to him and trust him because he cleansed. He washes away. Whatever is in your past, he's going to wash it away. And our last one, so we said Jesus came, Jesus cares, Jesus cleansed, and then the last one is Jesus convicts. If you go back with me real quick, in the beginning, we said, in a verse, chapter 2, verse 1, it says, on the third day, but it's the third day from what? Right? So sometimes when you read the Bible and you see a uh, a, a time marker or a therefore. It, it's good to go back and see what it's referring to. So it says on the third 
day he went to the wedding. So if you go to chapter 1 with me, on the, is the third day from what? Is the third day from when Philip and Nathaniel met with Jesus, right? And Philip met Jesus. He was amazed. So he went to his homeboy, Nathaniel, and he says, yo, I found somebody. I think he's the Messiah. And Nathaniel is a little on the prejudice side. He said, can anything good come out from Nazareth? Can any good, good come from that hood, right? So I guess he's from Pompano. The other one's from Coral Springs, and they don't like each other. So he, he's like, I'm not feeling this guy, right? And then, but Jesus came. And if you follow with me in verse 48 and 49, he says, well, when Jesus sees Nathaniel, he says, this is a man in the heart of which there is no fraud. So now Jesus is starting to reveal Nathaniel's life to him. And Nathaniel asked him, how do you know me? Nathaniel asked Jesus. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Nathaniel believed that Jesus is the Messiah. And thus, because he believed, he had eternal life. So, so Nathaniel started with a negative opinion of Jesus, right? So can anything good come from out Nazareth? But Jesus then revealed his life and, 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 and convicts his heart. Jesus is the one that has the power to convict. And, and so first thing I want to ask you as we close is, did you invite Jesus to change your heart? To change your heart. You see, conviction in the heart is a change of belief. But a real change of belief is matched with a change of behavior. Nathaniel, when he encountered Jesus, his life changed from the inside. But then guess what? He followed Jesus. And he followed Jesus all the way to, like the other apostles, to, to his death. So there was a change of belief, but then there was also a change of behavior. And, and so what I want to invite you this today is to come to Jesus, number one, for your own heart to be changed. And maybe you've been saved, but you struggle with a sin. That that's keep reoccurring. Come to Jesus because Jesus is the one that can make that change. Maybe it's not like a sin, but you're, you're having a problem or maybe it's the people around you. Because what we find about Nathaniel in particular is that Nathaniel was from Cana. That's where he was from. And, and John tells us that's in John 21. That's where he was from. So we see that in chapter 1, Jesus changes the man, Nathaniel. But in chapter 2, he goes in this community and he starts changing the community. So now if you're saved... God doesn't only save you for you. He saves you for your community. And, and if you have somebody in your life that you want to see saved, if you have somebody in your life that's acting like a knucklehead, bring them to Jesus because Jesus convicts. Jesus can change their hearts. And, and I've seen in my life some of the toughest gang guys transformed and become pastors and now preach the gospel. I've seen guys that when they got saved, nobody would believe them. Nobody believed, yeah, I believe him, I believe that guy, but Andy? No, he'll never be saved. And Andy became preacher of the gospel. Jesus can change anyone. Jesus can change you, and Jesus can change your community. And so as we close, I want to bring some points of application for us. Number one, Jesus came. So my question is, did you invite Jesus in your heart? First, as your Lord and Savior. Did you invite Jesus in your situation? Say, yeah, Dave, I'm saved. I've been saved. 
But did you invite him in this situation? In that financial struggle that, we, that you have, did you invite him? Did you invite him in that relationship that when the relationship started, it was butterflies, right? And you know worms, they grow and become butterflies. But your relationship went from butterflies to now it's worms. And you feel like you would step on the worm. But bring it to Jesus. Bring it to Jesus. And what happens when you have a worm, it goes into a cocoon. And in the cocoon, there's a transformation that happens. You don't see it with your eyes, but there's a transformation that happens. And after the time has passed, the cocoon blossoms into a butterfly. And some relationship, that's how they are. So you bring them to Jesus, and you bring them in the cocoon of prayer, and Jesus makes the transformation. And he makes that transformation because he cares. He makes that transformation because he cares. So if you have any issues that are on your mind, that are in your heart, bring them to Jesus. If you have any sins, any mistake that you've made in the past, anything that you're not proud of, bring them to Jesus. Because for Jesus, that don't change nothing. He still loves you as much now as he did when he died on the cross. So it don't change for him. It does not. So bring him to him because he cleansed. And if you have people that you want to see saved, bring him to him. Bring it to Jesus. God bless you.